we are rejoicing uh, and we are glad in it. Uh, Jesus, we uh, come to you humbly, Father, that, that knowing that we are your children, knowing that you love us, God, and you abide in us as we abide in you, Father. Uh, I thank you for this presuppositional apologetics class. I pray that it goes well tonight. I pray that everything that we discuss is only meant to glorify you. It is meant to uh, lift your name up, God, and it is uh, as it allows us to defend our faith uh, against uh, the evil schemes of the devil, and that we plan to defend our faith, God, and we plan to also uh, crush and uh, annihilate any uh, plan that comes against your, your kingdom, Jesus. Uh, God, we uh, bind up any uh, negativity, any uh, satanic schemes that may try to come against this class or anyone who's watching the video. I pray that uh, through what, what, do you, what do you believe? Uh, I pray that um, anybody who's watching this video will be saved and touched and changed and radically transformed in the name of Jesus. And I also pray that we have uh, a great class uh, with open ears and open hearts and open minds, God. And I pray that we have uh, just a blessed time in your name, Jesus. And I pray that uh, we all have um, a great uh, understanding of your word through this class. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thank you for that awesome prayer, my brother. Amen. It seems like I'm running a little bit slow today. I wasn't able to even um, check the live feed. So will one of you guys just do me a favor and check and see if that live feed is coming through okay? And uh, if it is, just give me a chat here on Zoom to let me know. Uh, today is uh, week 10. It's the last day of our class as of lectures. And what we're going to do is take on the subject or rather the practical nature of our subject and get into the discussion of what it, it looks like to practically defend our faith. So we've been honored with the ability to have a special guest come and join us next week. And next week will be our 11th week and last week of the class. And uh, his name is Spencer, so keep him in prayer even now that God will speak to him. But he's going to come and he's going to make himself available to test our, um, our knowledge in these areas and you guys are going to be able to do it and get a grade from me at the end. I won't do it publicly. I'll do it at the end to just kind of see where you lined up with uh, what you knew, how you presented it, and how you did. And, of course, I'm going to be fair and uh, give you the opportunity to, uh, you know, really give it the best shot. And I won't interrupt unless I just see it's, it's not going good for you. And I may kind of step in and I'll let Spencer know that and say, if some of our students are struggling in these arguments, I may just step in and kind of guide the conversation as if I was a, uh, a person that was witnessing with them, kind of like their partner, you know. Okay, so if you look at the Facebook page, what we have is the list of those who are going to do what in the discussion. And it's basically a summary over what we had learned in the class. So everybody, make sure you guys take a look at it. I'll have it up here for myself if you guys forget. But uh, this is basically what I have you guys doing. And the way I kind of picture this is each one of you will have five minutes to engage Spencer in these, uh, 
main arguments and evidence for the Christian worldview. So we'll start with Juan giving him the gospel. And Juan, when you give the gospel, I'll want it to be very concise. So we're going to put the gospel on the table. We're going to say, you know, something simple like, Spencer, uh, we really want you to be born again. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He's the only way to the Father. Something simple like that. And then say, Spencer, what do you think about that? So we're really trying to give this the most, um, like, natural feel. So you would start with the gospel. And then when it comes to the defense, which we'll go over today, and, and when I do this, I want to take time with each one of you. So we'll be able to actually, uh, like, help you work through the argument, some of the things that I'll be looking for. So if he says, well, I don't really believe that, then you would say, why? And whenever he gives you his answer, because, of course, you're listening to what he says, then you're going to give the minimal facts argument. You're going to say, okay, what do you do with the minimal facts that really only the Christian worldview, the gospel, can explain when it comes to Jesus's life, death, burial, and resurrection? Uh, then we'll go into, and, and we'll just assume, now we're believing that he can become saved, but we'll assume that he won't be just because he hasn't been yet as of now. So we'll have all these arguments lined up for him. But I do want to say in the midst of our kind of what I, I don't want to use the word mock, but somewhat like an example debate or a practice debate, I do really want to believe God to do, you know, powerful things in his life. So assuming that he doesn't get saved, we will give him those minimal facts, five minutes, then we'll move on to the tag argument. And that's with Chris, who just had a baby, and we're happy for them and a nice baby boy. Uh, and I see you guys chatting me up here and says that, that told me that it's all working good. Awesome. Somebody just chat me the baby's name as well. We'll just pray for Monique, which is uh, Chris's wife and the baby just right now as well. Um, but if Chris will be here, we'll do it. Gabriel, awesome. Lord, be with Monique as she's recovering from giving birth to a healthy baby boy. And we pray for uh, Gabriel to continue to grow stronger and stronger every day and live a wonderful long life for you. And we also pray for Chris to be able to hold it down for his family and do all that is needed. Lord, we just thank you for them and also for baby Zoe, their uh, oldest as well, who is not too much older um, than uh, my youngest, which is around a year. And we just thank you for them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know what it's like to have a family like that. So it's amazing. They have now another child in diapers, in other words. I think Zoe is only one years old. Uh, chat me up as well what, what her age is, but I think she's probably, whatever, 13, 14 months. Okay, and if Chris can't do it, I'll ask if one of you guys want to do it. So I'll still go over the tag, which is kind of like following the, the flow of a normal conversation. If you really met somebody like a Spencer who said, you know, I don't believe the gospel, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty much like an agnostic or an atheist. Well, right after that, you want to go into the transcendental argument for God. Five minutes. We'll see if Chris wants to do that. Uh, Daryl's going to be checking on that for me. If he doesn't, no condo bondo. One of you guys can do it, or we can just save it for when I end up having my discussion with, with him at the end. Then we'll move into four theistic proofs for God. So the first one is like the proof of the gospel. The second one is like the heartbeat of uh, presuppositional apologetics, the transcendental argument. And then the next four are the standard um, classical arguments, and we'll be doing that from a presuppositional point of view. 
And uh, I left out the ontological for two reasons. It's a little bit harder, obviously, for, for you guys to learn it. It's also harder for the person when they're hearing it to actually deal with the information. And so if it takes you five minutes of explaining it and getting over any hangups, I don't want to waste the whole five minutes you just explaining it. And some people take it differently. And so if he takes it, uh, you know, I don't know how experienced he is with it. Just, you know, if he takes it the wrong way, then you've got to re-explain it. So I just said, let me just leave that one out. But once again, when we listen to the video by Inspiring Philosophy, if you can get it down, uh, like for him, it's one of his favorite arguments. So it, it is not something that I would neglect. I would take serious. But I just put these in somewhat of a random order because it's not like in a conversation you're going to go the way we have it. But the idea would be you've given them the gospel. They've kind of rejected it. Then you're going through our transcendental argument, basically saying, how can you know anything? And instead of just staying there, as some presuppositionalists do, we will use classical arguments. So then Yuli will do the cosmological argument. Ashley will do the moral. The Joseph B. will do the epistemological, the argument from warrant, how we can know things similar to the tag. So I want to make sure that he kind of doesn't get lost in the tag, but uses some very key phrases that uh, Alvin Plantinka has given us. And even with Spencer, Spencer being a philosophical student there in Arizona, a philosophy student in Arizona, he uh, said that Alvin Plantinka is one of his favorites. So it's not that he just knows of him and thinks he's okay. It's actually, he's actually one of his favorites. So I think if you use some key words, you will be helpful in this conversation with him. Now, once again, I said to, to Spencer, we're not going to look into your beliefs. We're not going to have any advantage that way because we don't want to have an advantage that way. We literally want to use you as if we met you on the streets when we're witnessing. So I told him that we're not getting into all of his you know, various beliefs. You'll have to hear them and deal with them in the moment. But the, the one thing that I think I can bring up to you is that, you know, is that he told me he, he liked Alvin Plantinga. And then we'll go with the teleological, which I still can't say fast, teleological, teleological argument, the argument from design, Daryl will come. And then at the end, we'll hand it over to Rachel for the problem of evil. Uh, whether he would bring it up in a conversation or not, we'll have to see. He may even want to punt when it gets to this. Uh, Rachel, so maybe what I would like to do is give you the tag argument and have you practice it today, assuming you'll have to do it. And if Chris comes, then you've just practiced for two. But uh, the problem of evil is so easy. I don't think you need much time with it, but of course, do some studying. But he, but reason, reason why is because we're not even guaranteed he'll want to he'll want to have a problem with evil. He may be like the many philosophers who will just say, no, uh, if there's a God, there isn't a problem of evil. And since I don't believe in a God, I really don't even believe in evil. And so I'm not bringing that against you guys in any way. And so I can leave that for my discussion. Because if you remember, we, we studied apologetics from Dr. Frame's book as proof, um, defense, and offense. And so the defensive section was the problem of evil. But once again, if somebody's not bringing up the problem of evil, we don't need to necessarily bring it up. But um, we'll see. So I think that will be good. So that's going to be what we're going to do. Lord willing, next week, that will be our last and final week of class. Then we'll have a week off. 
and then Lord willing, start a new quarter. Well, that is if we get a minimum of five students. We've had seven students for this class. So everyone stay after class today, please, just for a few moments. And I'll just get your feedback for the class moving forward if there's anybody interested. If not, I don't mind taking off a quarter and just doing it per the need of our elders and deacons because I've had a wonderful time with you guys. And I don't want you to feel any pressure to have to do it. Okay, so let's get into our notes and then we'll start talking to you guys individually. And of course, today is a live class. It still will go on the podcast, but uh, it will be more conversational. So, so if you're one of the hundred who watch uh, or listen to our podcast or one of the two or 300 that uh, watch the videos online, I hope that you'll feel that you're kind of a part of a Bible study and the questions they're asking may be the questions you would ask. And if you're watching this, that you know, and you're a believer, that means you want to learn how do you do these things with a practical, uh, you know, you want the practical experience and the application of them. So we'll help, we'll, we'll help you out through this. And we, we believe it will be helpful. So uh, we're going to get started right now. Uh, since Juan will be our first one, Juan, why don't you read our passage for today, please, in Mark 16, 15 through 20, and then we'll go with you in the gospel. Uh, Mark 16, 15, 20, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creations. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accommodate those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will cast, they will speak in tongues. And they will pick up snakes with their hands, and they will drink deadly poison. It will not harm them all. They will place their hands on the sick, and they will get well. After the Lord spoke to them, he was taken into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And then the, the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. Accompanied it. Sorry, <laughs> no, that's okay. And I just want to help you out one right now. It's a bit hard to hear you. I know yeah. you come to this class right out of work. So for next week, and even now, if you can get a headset, because yeah. otherwise it will be very hard for Spencer to hear you. And we want to make sure that you can come across as clear as possible. Those who yeah are watching uh, Juan right now. He is not driving, his wife is driving, but he is in a car coming home yeah, from work. Have a put yeah, putting in that headset and uh, we'll come back to you in just a minute. So basically what we're doing is we're preaching the gospel according to what Jesus commanded us to do. So this is a class, if you just happen to join us online or found our podcast, we've taken the last uh, three months to learn how to do Christian apologetics. And the word apologetics means to do the defense of the Christian faith. Our church, Metro Praise International, is a gospel preaching church. We have 10 different uh, times we go out and preach the gospel every week. So that's more than once every seven days, one a day for seven days. So our church grows this way. We just did a baptism with over 20 people. Many of them were one to the Lord this way from either school clubs, uh, their friends witnessing to them, etc. And this is a part of our church tradition. What makes this uh, church 
awesome. What, what makes what we do in the church awesome is that all we're doing is going back to what Jesus has told, had told his original disciples to do. And that was to go preach the gospel, not just be in church and talk about the gospel, but actually go out and preach the gospel. And I did a study on Jesus's life in my doctoral classes. And I showed that uh, over 70% of the time, Jesus was out of a church building, a temple, synagogue in those days, preaching the gospel. So we need to be out where the people are preaching the gospel. And as a matter of fact, I see one of my friends that I've met preaching the gospel at Wright College saying, what's up to us? Uh, Romel Chris, hey, brother, good to see you as well. He works at the McDonald's there. And uh, Yuli and I have been talking to him. So, Yuli, uh, maybe give Romel a shout out on our live feed right now because he's watching us. And this is commonplace for us. This is what we do. And so we should preach the gospel, encourage them to be saved when they're saved, to see them baptized. These signs will accompany him, casting out demons, speaking in tongues. We are Pentecostals. The picking up the snakes and drinking the deadly poison simply means we're invincible until the time of our death. God will keep us safe. When Paul was preaching, a snake bit him and it didn't kill him. And there is also in church, that's in the Bible, and then in church history, outside of the record of the Bible, but we have this in church history, that they tried to poison John the Apostle, and yet he kept living. And so those things were fulfilled, and it still happens today, where they try to kill our missionaries. Uh, I've heard stories where people have pulled gun on our preachers, uh, not ours literally, but ours in the sense of the body of Christ, Christians, and they haven't died. The gun doesn't work or something. Uh, sometimes even angels come. These are, these are not uh, unheard of. And so that uh, proves to us that God makes us invincible. Doesn't mean we don't die. Uh, almost all the disciples were martyred. People die for their faith. That's not making us supermen, but it just means until it's our time to die, we will live. And you will be surprised how often we live when other people would die. Uh, it's just like what God brings people through. It's, it's amazing how he'll keep uh, the Christian alive in certain circumstances. And then lastly, they will lay their hands on the sick and the sick will get well. So we pray for the sick and oftentimes we see them, say, uh, see them healed. And then the Bible says that uh, after the Lord spoke to them, these things, he was taken up. So this is after his resurrection, right before he leaves, he tells them to do this and he's taken up to heaven. And it says, verse 20, the disciples did what he told them to do. They went out and preached everywhere. Where did they preach? Everywhere. Did they just preach uh, in church? No, they preached everywhere. Did they just preach where people liked them? No, they preached everywhere. So we should do the same. And guess what happened? The Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. The signs that were just mentioned up here, these signs will follow them that believe. Those signs accompanied the gospel. And so to, to this day, they are still accompanying the gospel. Okay, so we're getting ready for our last class next week. We're having an atheist come to join us. He's a philosophy student at Arizona. Now we're going to start going through the practical applications of how to present our arguments. All right, now let's try with one one, give us a mic check and let's see how you're coming through. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yeah. Yeah, you sound much better. Okay, one, let me give you the review and then you tell me what I can do to help you if there is anything that sticks out. And then what I will do is somewhat is of an example debate with you to see how familiar you are with the information. 
So Juan, I know you're going to be able to preach the gospel. That's not going to be very difficult. I just want you to stay within the five minute time frame. So that's everything. That's preaching back and forth. It's not going to be a lot of time. So literally, I would, if I were you, Juan, I would just say the simple thing that Jesus, uh, uh, I mean, excuse me, that Paul summarized the gospel with in, uh, in the book of Romans. So you could just simply say, because we're trying to imitate as if he met Spencer on the streets, right? So it's just, Spencer, we believe that all men are born sinners, that Jesus died for sinners, he rose again for their life and salvation, and that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Spencer, do you believe that? I'm Like I said, he may say yes, and we may see the atheist saved right there. And God did it for me, God can do it for him. But if he says no, we need to now be prepared just like we would on the streets. And then we would say, why not? You would ask him why not, and then he's going to give you a reason. He may say something like, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe Jesus could have raised from the dead, etc. He may be as far out to say Jesus was a myth, whatever. At this point, I want you to use the main argument that we call the argument from mere Christianity. Premise one, all major historians agree that Jesus lived, died, and was believed to be given believed to have given resurrection appearances. Number two, Jesus rising from the dead is the only rational claim that supports all the agreed evidence. The conclusion, therefore, Jesus rose from the dead. And so we have Dr. Gary Habermas's video. He's the most um, thorough expert on these things. He went through, I think, about 10,000 scholarly journals. He documented uh, where the consensus was at in all universities from Oxford, Princeton, Yale, all the big names, people who have their PhDs in New Testament studies, some are Jewish, some are Christian, some are Muslim, whatever. And here is what he has come up with. He wrote an entire book on this, but we're not going to go into all 12 of the basic things that historians agree upon. What we will do, Juan, is just stick literally with those three and ask Spencer, and remember, when you're doing a discussion, let's not do it like robots and let's not do it with premises. Spencer is a philosophy student. He may like that, but let's not get caught up with that. Just do it as we would in a conversation. How I would do it is I would say, okay, this is the gospel, Spencer. What do you think? Well, I don't believe it. Why don't you believe it? He says what he says. Then you can say back, well, what do you do with the, the, the consensus of all majority of historians in this field, of the people who study the time period of the early church, here's at least three things that the overwhelming majority believe in. And you can search it if you want. Uh, and this is what we would say on the streets. I'll get you the book. You look at it. I'll send you the website link. This is not a flippant statement saying we all, we you know, all these historians agree on this. No, we're literally saying Here's the guy who looked at 10,000 journals of people who write about this, okay? When we say journals, we don't mean blogs. We mean journals and academic publications where they submit their work. Their work has to be peer-reviewed to be in the journal, and then the journal is a representation of scholarship of that field. So there's journals for philosophy. There's journals for medicine, et cetera, Okay. And that's what a good doctor does, by the way. They keep up with the current medical journals, especially like if they're an eye doctor, the current 
you know, eye doctor journals and, the, and optometry journals, right? Okay. And so we'll get it for you. I mean, we don't have time to look at all this right now. And if you call our bluff, you're going to look silly. But I don't think he's, because I know guys like this, I don't think he's going to doubt that. So now what he has to do is give his explanation. Okay, we have good records that Jesus lived. He's not a myth. That is totally looked at as nincompoop stuff when people start talking about Jesus being a myth. Even per people like Bart Ehrman, who wrote the book, famous book, Misquoting Jesus, told other atheists, stop saying Jesus is a myth. You guys make atheists look stupid. We believe because he's in the field, right? So he's an atheist and he's in the field of New Testament and historical research. He's like, we all believe Jesus lived. Like, stop saying he's a myth. He's not Horus. He's not... Uh, you know, one of these myths from these pagan deities. He's a real, actual person. Now, whether or not myth got added to him, that's another conversation. We we obviously disagree with that, but other people can discuss that. But the idea that he's a myth, like how these people were myth, is silly. There's more evidence about him living than than some Caesars of Rome. Okay, just to put it in practical ways of understanding this. So he lived. He died. We have great historical records that he died under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. Roman soldiers were great at killing people. Okay. Now, here's the third part where we got to be clear on this. The, the historians who look at the records have to look at why Christianity said our Jesus raised from the dead. Were they making that up like a myth, right, like a dying and rising God myth? Or did they actually believe it? Now, here's the thing you've got to be clear on. The, uh, the people of this time believed it that they saw it, not believed it in the sense of I want to believe it, like a Muslim saying, I'm going to go blow myself up or fly a plane into a, believe, a building hoping to get to, to paradise, to Jannah. No, no, no. This is literally them saying we're not believing it in the sense of I haven't seen it and so I have faith to believe it. They literally said, we saw him, we saw him, and they died for their testimony of that. And historians, now watch this, agree that they said that and believe that, right? So what their biggest challenge is now is trying to explain why all these people were walking around saying, we saw him. Not that we hoped to see him, but we actually saw him. This is like famous people like um, Daryl Bach. Uh, the Jesus seminar people who are sometimes atheist agnostic, very liberal minded, if, if any, if they're even calling themselves a believer in God, not even true Christians. I mean, uh, these people literally say we can't deny that. So they must have seen hallucinations. Like sometimes you can be grieving so much that you uh, uh, John, J John Dominic Crossan, you can look him up. I believe he's an agnostic New Testament scholar. Uh, and Daryl Bach, I'm going to check on him because I don't know if it's uh, Daryl Bach or what. But but here's the deal that it has to be accounted for. And so they'll say the uh, the grieving induced uh, hallucinations. Uh, some of them might have seen a ghost. So there may be paranormal things going on, but it's not actually Jesus. And so that's a key. Now, once again, those are historical facts. If people want to disagree with that, they've got to bring their evidence You've got yours ready, okay? So uh, if he goes on that, which a lot of people do, I don't hear a lot of educated people go against this because they understand these things. No, I'm sorry. Daryl Bach is actually, he's on our team. 
Uh, but John Dominic Crossan and his boy, his other guy that's with him in the Jesus seminar, folks, they were part of what founded this. You know, when you watch these specials, you know, around Christmas or Easter time, and they're always talking about Jesus and they have some scholar on there and he's basically saying, um, you know, all of these weird things or things that are against the Bible. These are the guys who they're talking to nine times out of 10. Um, there we go. Burton Mack is one of them and Crossan. Okay. And there are just some others there. So the Jesus seminar folks are a non, um, Christian Robert Funk. That was the other guy I was thinking of. Okay. And they created this skeptical version of dealing with the facts. Now, when we're learning this, these guys are believing this. Okay. So we're talking the greatest scholars who are not even Christians agree with this, right? So we got to hold their feet to the fire and say, give us the explanation. Well, obviously, what do we believe the best explanation is? Jesus rose from the dead. And some of the things we talk about, like um, uh, the, the, group the group hallucination theory doesn't work very well because you have upwards of 500 people having it. And then they're saying that they were with him for 40 days. Hallucinations have only really been documented with one or two people and they only last a short period of time. And we have the opposite here. Long periods of time, Jesus is around for 40 days eating meals with them. You know, like you see in the Bible, he's eating meals. These people are having stories post-resurrection, just like we got from Mark. The Gospel of Mark is written via Peter's recollection. So Mark is Peter's, uh, you know, scribe writing what Peter wanted him to write down. And so it's like, hold on. This is not just like, oh, I saw my grandma when I was crying so hard after she died, you know. And my, my sister saw her, saw her too, you know, no, no, no. It's, I saw him and five others saw him and we saw him for 40 days and we ate food with them. And there was one of our guys named Thomas who said, I won't even believe it until I start touching where they put the nail prints. Now, once again, the people who say we don't believe what the Bible says about these recollections are not in mainstream uh, historical uh, scholarship. Like I was just saying, John Dominic Croston, um, Funk, and these guys, they may not believe the miracle. They may not believe this, but they're believing people are actually believing this, and they have to explain why. And, and Christianity grew in the midst of heavy persecution. The Jewish people hated them. The Romans hated them. So why are they making up a story of a dying and rising God when, by the way, they wanted nothing to do with paganism. You're talking about these people were Jews. They were monotheists in the Roman culture already suffering because they didn't want to worship the Roman gods. Why are they now going to make their Messiah a dying and rising God and start worshiping him be persecuted by the Jews who got Jesus crucified. And those are the ones who stoned Stephen in the New Testament and were doing the most persecution for like the first 30 years. And then go against the Romans and say, not only is our God the God, Jesus in the flesh was the son of God, but he told us all your gods, all of them were wrong. You, you see, if you were going to make up a myth, you would want to do it in a way that would get along with everybody not a way that would cause you to be in conflict with everybody because you had nothing to gain. If you try to compare this to Muhammad and what he did with Mecca in Mecca, 
by picking one of the gods and then shaming the rest of the gods and trying to take over the Kaaba and the place of their worship. And then they kicked him out and he had to go from Mecca to Medina, gain power and come back to Mecca and take it over and make his God, the main God of their, their idols uh, of, of their temple, what, which the Kaaba was the big, the, the big black, uh, the, you know, box that they worship around. But here's the deal. He was doing that to unite the tribes that all had their own God. So he had a benefit to say, my God is the God, let's go. You have no benefit saying the son of God is equal to God, the father, and he died and he rose because you just lost the Jews. That's literally, if you remember what, what Paul said, he said the cross is a stumbling block and an offense to both Jew and non-Jew. To the Jewish person, we're worshiping a man. Like, why are we worshiping the Messiah? This guy died. You know, we don't believe he raised from the dead. So why, why would we worship him? So you just turned these guys off. And then now you're saying to the Romans who literally called us atheists. We were called atheists. Why? Because we only believed in one and they believed in many. So they were just like, these guys are atheists. They don't worship all the gods we do. They just got one. So, I mean, they're an atheist. They, they did that as a way of putting us down. So you put yourself at odds with both of these groups. Okay, that's for review. Juan, any questions about how to use this argument, good sir? Uh, the argument explains itself. Don't really have any questions in mind. Just, um, you just want us to just be more practical in how we address it. Okay. You use the statements, correct? Say that one more time. Just use the uh, summarize the statements that historians believe that all historians believe that Jesus lived, died, and believed to be given resurrection uh, yeah. appearances. Yeah, that's where I would yeah. stay because I have Gary Habermas's uh, other points here, but yeah, it would just take forever to go through them. So I would just be like, and that's really what the gospel is. Jesus's death, burial, resurrection, you know, yeah. his life, his death, his resurrection. So, yeah, I would stay yeah. there. So you feel and good then, about it? Yeah, definitely. And then the, the only rational explanation that supports the evidence is Jesus rising for the dead because the exactly. other explanations are, don't make sense when you add exactly. And and the only thing that I've heard from some of the smartest people in this field, like a Bart Ehrman, what Bart Ehrman will say is even if Christianity is true, and this happened, I don't have to believe it because it's not enough compelling evidence. Because if that kind of a miracle would have happened, then other kinds of great miracles would always happen for people like him to see. And so he says, it could have happened, it could not have happened, but it's not compelling enough for me to believe why would God make this random fact way back then, the one that we all have to believe, because that's what you have to believe to be saved, right? Jesus died and rose again. So he just says it's 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 like he's putting down God saying this is a poor example of trying to make us believe because there's not enough there, even if it was right. And I've even heard people, not Bart Ehrman, but others be silly and say, well, why didn't he do it in the 21st century where we could have recorded it and at least shown the video to other people? But those things, when they say that, you can just simply say, well, that doesn't change the facts. I mean, whether it happened then or now doesn't change the facts. If you don't have an explanation for these facts, then you need to understand what we are saying is the best explanation. So we're calling you to not a blind faith. We're calling you to a faith that is grounded in evidence and reason. 
And so like Lee Strobel, which we all know about him and those who are listening may not have heard of Lee Strobel. He just had his movie come out, The Case for Christ, spent two years researching these things as an atheist uh, newspaper reporter, and he became converted by it. And he's not alone. So many have become converted because send them on the journey. We'll get you the Gary Habermas book. Look at his articles. He spent, I think, 10 years doing this. I mean, maybe even more. This man spent years and years and years doing this. And there's no real way around it. And we know why, at the end of the day, people will do the research and come away not believing. It's not because the evidence now, right? What does the Bible say? You're suppressing the truth. Because for you to have to believe in this Jesus, you've got to now believe. You've got to repent to him, make it right, and make him your master and live for him. So let's just be real. That's where you're at. That's why you don't want this. You didn't give us any real better way to look at this. You know, he's not a myth. These things attributed to him are true, and that's the best we can go on. So what are you going to do about it? Humble yourself. Let the Holy Spirit enlighten you now to the truth, like he's done for so many others. Okay, now Let's use Rachel as our example, because we don't know if Chris is going to make it. So let's say he goes, well, I don't believe the gospel. I don't believe those facts. He could be really super sassy and just be like, well, I don't believe any of that. I don't care what a historian said. You could be like, I'll get you the book. I don't even want to read the book. Okay, well, now you done did it. We got to go deep now. We've got to go to the the tag argument, the transcendental argument for God. We're going to start using principles of metaphysics, the theory of the fundamental nature of reality, epistemology, the theory of knowledge, transcendental, things relating to the spiritual and non-physical. The three parts of a transcendental argument are logic and rationality. Two, morality and value. Three, science and uniformity of nature are all explained and grounded by God. So, boom. Okay, you want to be the skeptic now and say, I don't know, you know, I don't think you know either, whatever. Okay, how do you know anything now? How do you even know? How can you account for logic? Oh, well, it came from evolution. Where did evolution come from? It came from a big bang. Who banged it? Oh, there's a multiverse that bangs out universe. Where did the multiverse get come from? Well, it came from nothing. So you believe in something coming from nothing and now you're using logic against me? You're the one that's illogical. You can't even explain where logic came from. You don't even know why you have a brain that makes sense of logic. What's the difference between saying A can't be A and non-A at the same time, law of contradiction, and me saying the smell of blue tastes like, tastes like uh, guitars? The smell of blue tastes like guitars. Is that the same thing as me saying A cannot be non-A at the same time? Here you've got the law of non-contradiction, a logical foundation of truth. A cannot be non-A at the same time. You cannot contradict truth and be true at the same time. Over here, blue tastes like guitars is absolute nonsense. Why aren't we talking nonsense all the time? Why do we talk logic? And why are you as an unbeliever using logic to try to disprove our God when when you take God out the picture, you ain't even got logic? Logic doesn't come from matter. Matter does not create mind. You can't push it all the way back to nothing, nothing. From nothing, nothing comes. Intelligence begets intelligence. Things or uh, persons create persons. And so logic begets logic. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. 
No one comes to the Father but by me. He's life. He's truth. He's way. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos, logic. That's where we get the word logic from, logos. In the Greek, that's why everything has ology at the end. You know, theology, you know, uh, etymology, epistemology. Logos is at the end, the study of. Logic in this area. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Through him, he was in the beginning with God, and through him all things were created. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light, the conscience of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's First John. That's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. John 1, 14, in that same chapter, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The logic, the word of the Father came and revealed himself to us. John 1, 18 no one has ever seen the Father, but God, the one and only Son, who was at the Father's side, has made him known. How do we know and explain all that we call logic and science and math and conformity of nature? Why is today going to be like tomorrow? Uh, why is tomorrow rather going to be like today where gravity still works, where our minds still work, etc.? Why do we recognize sickness and mental illness? Because we can recognize full functioning minds. If we were all mentally ill, we wouldn't know what a right mind looked like. If we all had broken uh, rulers, how would we know what a straight line was like? If we never had a 12-inch uh, ruler, how do we know how long a foot is? This is where we get real with them. You got to get a little hood with them. Come on, Rachie. Rachie, ready to bring it down? Bring it down, Julie Brown, downtown? Come on. What were we talking about the other day, Daryl? Keep it in control, brother. Soul, brother. Soul, brother. Keep it in control, brother. Come on. All right. Here are different arguments that you can use, Rachel, for the tag argument. Here's the one that I would do really simply. Premise one, the tag argument, transcendental argument for grounding. You can't, you can only exist because of God. Premise one, if God is the transcendental ground of X, he exists. Premise two, God is the transcendental ground of X, therefore God exists. Okay, and you could put logic there. If God is the transcendental ground of logic, he exists. God is the transcendental ground of logic. Therefore, logic exists. Otherwise, explain logic to me. You could do intelligibility if you want. Same thing. If anything's, an intellig if anything's intelligent, God exists. Something is intelligent. We understand things. Therefore, God exists. Uh, you can get into the Trinity if you want. Now, here's how you refute the argument that comes back. They say, no, I don't need to have God to have logic. Now, show them the impossibility of the contrary, that if you don't have God, it's impossible to have logic. It's called reductio ad absurdum in Latin or argumentum ad absurdum, the argument from absurdity. It's the form of argument which attempts either to disprove a statement by showing it inevitably leads to a ridiculous, absurd, or impractical conclusion or to prove one, one argument by showing that if it were not true, the result would be absurd or impossible. Impossible. That comes from Wikipedia. Here we go. If one were to deny a well-formed tag argument, they would be essentially denying logic, morality, and science, and thus casting the debate and their existence into meaninglessness. It's important to let people know that without the triune God from Scripture, they couldn't even have an argument about his existence. Okay? So that's how I would go at it. I would just simply stick with one of these first two right here, Rachel, and put X for logic, 
and just simply say to him, um, so a- after the gospel, you've denied it. Okay. So now you're making decisions. I would ask him, do you believe logic is the basis for us discovering truth? Or you could back up and ask, do you believe in truth? Do you believe in absolute truth? If he says yes, then say, what do you use to discover truth? Do you use logic? Do you use science? Do you use your mental faculties? Any of those questions to ask him. He says, yes, somewhere I use logic. I use science. I use this. Then you ask him, what is the ground of those things? Meaning, how do you know that they work? If you had on a pair of glasses that had yellow lenses that made you see everything else as yellow, and so everybody's asking you, what color is this? And you say, yellow. What color is this? Yellow. To you, it's yellow. But how would you know if you were wrong, if this is the glasses that you have on? Somebody would have to tell you and say, no, 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 no. This is blue. But you're saying it's yellow. It's yellow to me. It's yellow to me. How do we discern now whether it's really blue or really yellow? Because you can't just go to logic to explain logic. You can't go to science to explain science. You can't go to your own mind and rationality to explain rationality. You become in a vicious circle. So what is your foundation? We say God tells us how to use our mind, how to use rationality, how to do science. That's why the scientific revolution started with the Christians in the Renaissance, breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church during that time of enlightenment, okay? And that's why all the greatest discoveries that happened in that time came from Christians, whether it was inventions or hospitals or universities. You know, this came from from Christians understanding the ways of God. Rachel, any questions about using this argument if Chris cannot do it? Um, No, the only question was because there's so many ways to go at it. So I think that was a great suggestion of doing the first two. arguments and i don't think i have any questions okay so now let's just say because he's just once again knowing who he is just personally and i've heard this before so it's still fair to our agreement not to give us a leg up to study him too much and him not really knowing where we're coming from which by the way i'm going to send him this video with these notes so i'm trying to even out as much as i can you know he's coming into the lamb's den you know it's like one against eight Right. And he's still in college, et cetera, but he's volunteered, which is awesome. So we actually have somebody willing to do this. But let's say he he may say something like this. He may say, I I just don't believe we need to ground it. Uh, The fact that you say I need a grounding now to me is something I don't agree with. So I agree that these things are important, but I don't agree that I have to ground them. Why? Do I have to ground them? This is what we have. The thing that you want me to use to ground them, God, I can't see, but I can see two apples making four apples, you know, two plus two apples equals four apples. So why do I need to ground anything? Why don't I just use what I have? And now you give me the evidence and I'll tell you whether or not I'm convinced of your God. So what would you say to that, uh, Rachel? I would say, how do you even know what two apples are? How do you even know yeah. that they're at? How do you even know that we're having the real world right now talking about actual things? Exactly. There has to be See, something. Exactly. Beautiful. Because I don't care what you call yourself. And he's going to use probably some, you know, big 
philosophical terms because that's what he's doing. And he even taught me some that I hadn't heard of. And we're just going to say, you know, you're right. I don't know about those terms. I can look them up real quick, get an understanding. But here's something I do know. You need to ground something because otherwise, even Alex Rosenberg says, everything becomes meaningless without it. And so for you, I've also added uh, in the notes, not here in today's notes, but in the, the, the notes, oh, no, maybe I did. Okay, I have more examples of tag here. Okay, did I add it? Okay, I got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. But if you go back to the actual notes, you'll remember that I put in to this lesson on tag, and you can go to the website and see, I gave you Alex Rosenberg's references. So you can actually say, Rosenberg says life is meaningless. So, I mean, are, are you even trying to tell me life has meaning now? I mean, if you just said you don't have to ground anything, you're basically just saying everything is meaningless. So why are we even having the conversation? You know, But I would prefer you not bring out Alex Rosenberg and just say what you said and see what he says and then take the conversation from there. Sound good? Yep. Okay, good. So we'll just go in line with the way I have it here now. Uh, we have now the moral argument, and that will be Ashley. Ashley, the moral argument, really simple. Premise one, if God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. Premise two, objective moral values and duties do exist, therefore God exists. So trying to keep on with the conversation, we'll say, and maybe this is where I, as the moderator, can do this. I'll say, okay, time is up. Catching up, everybody. Here we are. The gospel's been presented. The gospel's been denied by our guest, Spencer. We've now asked him to justify how he can know anything or use science or any of those things. And now we're going to show him evidence for things that we know as Christians he uses already and takes for granted, but has no grounding for them. So not only does he not have grounding for logic, he doesn't have grounding for how he uses logic in morality. So it's like, Spencer, do you eat people? No. Why don't you? Here's a logical answer that he'll give. Well, guess what? If there's no God, your logical answer to why you don't eat any people makes no sense. I don't eat people because if I eat them, they'll eat me. So what? That's what dogs do. Why be moral then? Well, if I was a part of a tribe and I ate everybody, I'd have nobody to mate with. Who cares? Whoever said it was important for you to mate with anybody? Well, I feel like when I'm moral, I have a better life. I have better experiences, and that makes my DNA easier to pass on. Once again, who cares about you being happy? Why do you have to pass on your DNA? Maybe dogs should rule the world. Maybe every human being should commit suicide and let the animals take over the planet. Why would it matter for these arguments you use to have a morality, a morality in your life. So what did he have to do to make a moral position, borrow the logic of God, and then say, now I'm going to do the things that I want to do. So we agree you should be moral, but we don't agree with how they justify their morality. To justify their morality, they have to have a God. Otherwise, their logic doesn't add up. It may be logical, but only from our point of view. It's only logical from our point of view because it's not about DNA. It's not about these things. 
The reason why we treat others the way we want to be treated is not because we want a nicer tribe or a nicer king animal kingdom to live in. It's because we're made in the image of God. And that's why we have a conscience and we're not alligators eating our young or the spiders that eat their, their husbands after they mate with them, the black widows, whatever. We're actually uh, the creation of a moral creator. And that's what we're going to show them. And so... Uh, I would recommend that, uh, Ashley, you would go back over the short video by William Lane Craig and know the difference between the atheist being able to be moral versus being able to justify their morality. So that's where I said they may be able to be moral because they're borrowing our logic. They're borrowing our worldview, in other words. And, and we're not saying you can't do that. Of course you can. Praise God you take care of your children and don't eat two and keep one alive to keep the herd small enough to have enough food and, you know, the cabinet and resources. Thank God you don't. <laughs> but why not? You know, so that's what we're trying to show them, because a lot of times with the with the atheists or the and by the way, we're pre presenting this for an atheist. We would do this differently with other believers, uh, I mean, uh, other worldviews, et cetera. But uh, we're not saying sometimes what they hear us saying is, well, atheists are crazy people. They eat their children. They're not nice neighbors. And a lot of times you'll say, like, uh, you'll see even the bumper sticker, like, I'm an atheist and I like people and I'm a nice person. I actually just saw one the other day. I wish I could remember the verbiage of it. But that's not what we're saying, that atheists can't do morality or even recognize morality. They recognize math, but they have no justification for it. They recognize morality, but they can't explain why. Does that make sense, um, Ashley? Yes, it does. Any questions on that? The question I have would be the idea of absolute truths. Would that okay. still be the bounds of my argument? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you would ask, do you believe in absolute morality? Now, just know if you go there, which is a great place to go, they may say, well, what's the difference between when God says now you can, you know, kill all men, women and children in the Old Testament? Because you're going to say, like, here are absolutes. It's always wrong to torture a child. And then he'll say, well, what if God tells you to go torture a child? In other words, like he told these people to do to go kill them. What you have to differentiate is how absolute truth is derived versus man's opinion. So we are very much saying absolute truth is based upon what God says. And God tells us at times, or has told the people at times, to judge entire nations. And America did it when we bombed, uh, you know, um, Okinawa. And, um, oh, what is what are the Japanese cities we bombed? Um, I want to say yeah, Saganaki, but that's Greek cheese. That's the cock, the one you said. Yes. Yeah. Nagasaki? Not Nagasaki. Nagasaki. Yeah. No, Nagasaki's a drink, dude. <laughs> the places we bomb. Hiroshima is one of them. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Is it like Nagasaki? Nagasaki? Yeah, it is. It is. It is Nagasaki. It is Nagasaki. I can't pronounce it right. No, no, you are right, sir. I'm sorry for laughing. Right. Sake. What is the drink that they drink? Sake? Sake. Sake is a drink. Nagasaki is the place that got bombed, correct? Correct. How do you correct. spell it? Japanese drink 
Saki. Okay, yeah, Saki. S K S A K E. Okay, any other questions, Ashley? <laughs> Sorry about that. No. Okay, there we go. All right. See, once again, showing that you don't have to be the smartest or sharpest tool in the tool shed to be used by God. I thought Nagasaki was a drink. Okay, epistemological argument going to Joe B. Okay, now, Joe B., here's the key. Alvin Plantinka, this beast of a man right here who was respected by Christians and non-Christians alike for being one of the best philosophers of our time, it gives us a strong argument. You may wade into deep waters with this gentleman, just a little bit that I know because he is a fan, and he may have already prepared arguments. That's okay. Hold your ground. Be willing to learn if you're wrong and stick with the basic premises. And here it is. The argument against naturalism. Premise one, if naturalism is true, there is no warrant for knowing anything to be true. Premise two, we do know things to be true. Conclusion one, therefore naturalism is false. Conclusion two, therefore God exists. So here's the big deal. And rewatch some of these by Alvin Plantinga. Here's the big deal with him is that he was very precise in the language that he used to help naturalists understand that they have no justification for their beliefs. And he amped it up by saying, I'm going to go one level higher than justification. I'm going to go to warrant. And this is where it may get a little bit deep. Okay, so go back over those notes that I gave you. Go listen to him. The difference between justification and warrant is that warrant has an end goal or result. And it's impossible for naturalism to have any end goals or pre-planned results. Therefore, warrant is higher than justification. And so the idea would be, can I be justified in believing two plus two equals four without there being a God? Most people would say yes. Alvin Plantinga was troubled by that. So what he said is, there's got to be a way to explain to them that they, if they were a naturalist without a God in the world, they really couldn't know anything. So it's similar to a tag argument, but he uses their very um, justification, their, their very knowledge as a way to refute them, in other words, to show them to be deficient. And the way he does that is he says, if evolution is true, naturalism is true, and that means it's an unguided process, then math is a useful illusion. And they'll actually talk about this in the philosophical world. And logic is a useful illusion. And all of these things are just illusions. They really don't exist. The number two doesn't exist. The law of non-contradiction doesn't exist. And it's not really true in the sense that it's true because truth doesn't exist. Evolution doesn't perceive truth. Evolution is just a, a blind uh, watchmaker, as Darwin said, it's a blind process that's not aiming for a true dog. It's just aiming for a functional dog. It's not aiming for a true human being, a truthful human being. It's just aiming for a, a, a human being that can propagate the DNA to another human being. Okay. So he basically just says, warrant is higher than justification. Warrant says there had to be a purpose in truth, that, that, that what we know had to have a goal attached to it. 
if it didn't have a goal or a pre-plan to it, then everything's on the table. Everything could be twisted around. Um, and so that's the best I can explain it to you in our review time. Otherwise, just get his book against naturalism and you can see it because the, it's, it's called Where the Conflict Really Lies. And what, what he does is very similar to the tag argument is draws out uh, all of these things that could have been done by evolution could have brought us to this place where we're quote unquote justifying our truth, but really we have no warrant for it because it never intended to give us truth in the beginning and we don't know if it's true or not. So let me, let me just give you one quick example because I don't think I mentioned it in our review, but uh, here's one quick example. So imagine a car has a broken speedometer. Did I give you guys the broken speedometer example about this? I can't remember. Sounds familiar as I started talking about it. Anyways, so imagine you're in the car and it has a broken speedometer and it's broken at 50. Okay, so it's broken at 50. So now you're driving the car and you look down and it says 50 miles an hour. Now, you think you're justified to tell the police officer that just pulled you over for speeding in a 25 mile an hour area that you were going 50 because you only could look at the gauge and the gauge was broken. So have mercy on me. I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. That is the way that all truth would be if there was no such thing as warrant a true working speedometer. You would never know if you were actually driving 50. The things you thought you had justification for could be broken and you would never know. And it goes one step deeper. What if you were in a race and you had to drive 50 miles an hour to start? Well, let's say, yeah, say it was a race. And it wasn't about speed. It was about obstacles, right? And you had to be at 50 the whole time and do all the obstacles. Now, you're in a car that says 50, and you very may well be driving at 50 because before the speedometer broke, you got used to what 50 looked like. So you're actually at 50 miles an hour, but it's not because... Your speedometer tells you you're at 50 miles an hour. It's broken at 50. You're at 50 because of another set of reasons, the reasons of your observation of the land around you. So you thought you were going 50 because of this, but internally that was broken, but you internally knew 50 by these other set of reasons, okay? And so... It sounds a bit confusing, and I may not be the best at explaining it, but what, what he's trying to say is, is broken speedometers are like evolution. You never know what in the world is going on. And even if you're right, you don't even know if you're right. You may just be having your best guess. That's your right. But most of the time, you're going to be wrong. And if most of the time you can be wrong, you can be wrong about anything and not right about anything. And how would you know the times you were right or wrong? Now, this is where people start saying we can do induction. And they say science is the science of induction. But the greatest atheist, which Alvin Plantinga knows, and you can Google it, Joby, write it down, Bertrand Russell's problem with induction. The man who wrote the book, Why I Am Not a Christian, 
exposed, and let me just put it right here, exposed the problem with induction. Bertrand Russell, a famous sassy atheist, understood the problem with induction, okay? The problem of induction, you can go to Stanford's website here. The problem with induction, and let me give you the first paragraph. The original problem, this is all science. So somebody goes, well, okay, maybe my speedometer is broken and all of these things, but I can have someone else over here do the experiment, get something that's not broken to test it. Well, here's the problem. Everything you use in science is based upon something else that you think is true. But in the world of evolution and naturalism, how do you know any of it's working? Does everybody get that? And so it's like the transcendental argument, but it's a bit stronger for the, for the scientific mind because they know they want further, not just justification, they need warrant for things to be true. So let me just give you an example. The original problem of induction, which is all science has done, and by, this, by the way, this is Francis Bacon's uh, contribute, contribution to the world, and he was a Christian. He was the one who came up with the scientific method, which is induction, okay? The original problem of induction can simply be put, it concerns the support or justification of inductive methods. Now, everybody watch this. Get this. You have to justify your methods, but you can't. You need warrant. That big word warrant means things that are true because they were intended to be true. So that's the only way you could ever use science is if science had an intention to be true and to give you truth. Otherwise, it's a broken speedometer. Can I at least get a head nod from Joe B? Are you following me here? So warrant is what gives the justification for truth. Okay, it's above truth. It concerns the support or justification of inductive methods. Methods that predict or infer. In Hume's words, the great skeptic Hume, that instances of which we have had no experience resemble those of which we have had experience. Such methods are clearly essential in scientific reasoning. Do you see why it's like basically the tag argument for scientists? Okay, because the tag argument just gets you saying over and over again, how do you know what you know? Could you be wrong? You could be a brain in a vat. The, the epistemological argument basically says you can't know anything without warrant and warrant will come from God, our creator, by the way, right? Such methods are clearly essential in scientific reasoning as well as in the conduct of our everyday affairs. The problem is how to support or justify them and it leads to a dilemma. Here's the dilemma that it leads to. The principle cannot be proved deductively for it is contingent and only necessary truths can be proved deductively. Deductive logic is what we teach you to know, right? We're not doing science here. We're doing deduction. Socrates, um, all men are mortal. Socrates is a man. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. You can do that with logic, but logic isn't a scientific thing you paint in a laboratory, put under a, a microscope. But here's the, reason, here's the point. You can't prove anything you do scientific Lee, unless you've got logic as your foundation. But you just said, I got to prove everything scientifically. Now you've just lost logic. You're in a dilemma. Do I have science or do I have logic? 
which one do I have? If I have logic, I can do science, but now science can't be my explanation for the world. Logic is, because logic is what makes science work. So if as a scientist, I try to deny logic and can't give you warrant for it from God, I can't do science. But if I say I believe in logic and I believe in science, but I don't believe in God, I can't have either. And science will never work that way. The principle cannot be proved deductively, for it is contingent, and only necessary truths can be proved deductively. Nor can it be supported inductively by arguing that it has always or usually been reliable in the past, for that would beg the question by assuming just what is to be proved. Okay. Okay, so I get excited when I preach like this, uh, talk like this. And uh, let's see, because it came up on my thing. Uh, it says Hume here and others with the problem of induction. And just use this one. You don't have to worry about Bertrand Russell. But I'll show you um, Bertrand Russell's uh, issues here. Uh, Bertrand Russell's quote. Let's see here if he has one, one of his quotes. The trouble with the world is that the stupid are cocksure and the intelligent are full of doubt. See, that would be an example of him admitting that the doubt can't go away just with science. But uh, I'll look for that after the class, okay, His, because uh, I just heard it quoted the other day, and I thought it would come right back up. But uh, I'm glad that I looked it up here. You got the, uh, the Stanford article. Okay, any questions, Joe B? Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> it's really funny because I actually uh... – had a conversation like that and I, I used this warrant idea with evolution not really live hey bro you just went out I can't hear you hello I don't have any questions so <laughs> it's all good okay I, uh, Understand. But here we go. Here we go. Bertrand Russell, Problems of Philosophy. I'll keep this link open. And I believe he uses some example about a chicken because I just saw that come up as well. Um, okay, here we go. I just don't have time to get into it. But he's going to basically say the same thing we're talking about. I wish I could read it. I wish I could read it, but I just don't have time. Okay, let's go to the next one. The teleological argument, the argument from design, very simple, right? Some of them are more simple than others, but maybe those are some of the ones that he'll argue with the most. You never know. Everybody just come there to do your best. Premise one, design comes from purpose and purpose comes from, the, from mind. The universe is designed, therefore God exists. This was actually one of the evidences that helped turn Anthony Flew from being the, the atheist that he was to a, a believer in a God, never became a Christian that we are aware of. Lee Strobel interviewed him. He was one of the Dawkins of his day, one of the sassy atheists of his time. But as science got more and more in depth into the micro level, into the macro level as well, into the universe, you know, micro and macro, it's like big things, small things like, whoa, look at the order. The more we know, it's like, my goodness, this is not... This is not just thrown together here. And um, for someone like him, he'll understand what we call the constants of the universe. But if you, you know, are interested in this argument, you could actually learn some of them and say uh, how all of these constants have to be here for the universe to actually exist. And they couldn't just happen by accident. And uh, 
And so here are just some of them being listed out. The entropy of the universe, uh, dark matter per photon, the number of space-time dimensions. Uh, these things are listed out. Even the atheists, and this video actually even quotes many of the atheists who say, uh, we live in such a precise universe that it would be almost impossible it, it, for it to, to be here. But here, here's their way out of it. What's their way out of it is now this new thing called the multiverse. So because, and the only reason why, there is absolutely zero proof for the multiverse. Everybody make a big goose egg right here. Zero. Come on, do a big, everybody. Thank you. Z this is how much proof there is for a thing called the multiverse. But the only reason why they came up with the multiverse is the same reason why they came up with the billions of years of the universe to try to explain evolution and, and, and the expansion of the universe. That's the only way they can do it is they have to add in time. And the only way they can explain how there is such a precise universe is there must be a universe maker that's popping out universes, you know, a billion a second, and it's just putting them out, putting them out. And eventually what we would think would be impossible becomes one of them. But still, does that make sense? There's zero. You have faith in a multiverse instead of a God. But now here's the thing. What do you say to that? Who designed the multiverse? How in the world is there a multiverse that can keep putting out universes on this level? You don't do that without a mind, okay? And you see all the science coming across here, right? Uh, and if you get stuck here, we'll just play the video and we'll just say, tell me something about this. I mean, none of us here are scientists. You don't have to pretend to be, but expansion rate, mass and energy, you know, all the things of the universe. Don't give me this, this uh, multiverse baloney. There is no proof of it. The only reason why it's being used is because you know you can't uh, have fine tuning if it's a one-off. That's the only way you can do it. And then that's what, uh, by the way, so he starts, you know, in this video, you know, he shows here, this would be like you, you know, flipping a coin so many times, having, you know, hitting red all of these times. And, and then, um, you know, this is what, you know, you would have to be saying was possible. But look at this right here. This, I believe, is an atheist. A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a superintelligent has monkeyed with physics and that there are no blind forces we're speaking about in nature. Here we go. Fred Hoyle, right? Astrophysicist. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Okay. Now, he might have been a believer in God, but I think there's a, a, an atheist quote here. If there's not, there's others that have already said, I think it actually starts off here. He says, oh, here we go. Paul Davies. No, Paul Davies is a Christian, by the way, but he goes, there is, for, there is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. And let's see, um, he, let's see here if we have a Christian, I mean an atheist, because they, they've said it too. Like I said, they understand this. Everybody understands this, how uh, the multiverse has been worked up. Let me just see right quick if... Uh, he mentions one. Let me see. Let me see. Hold on. They do mention uh, 
Okay, excuse me. I'm sorry, Juan. Just hold that to the end. Okay. Daryl, any questions, my brother? No, I don't have any questions. Uh, this one's uh, pretty straightforward. And uh, I would say also that even Albert Einstein said that the more he studies science, the more he believes in God. The more he believed in God. There you go. You know, so there you go. There's good deal. Uh, you know, multiple uh, quotes. And uh, as we just witnessed, dozens upon dozens of equations from physics to chemistry, biology. I mean, we can we can continue on almost to infinity with evidences. Exactly. So, uh, awesome. Thank you, my brother. OK, moving right along to the cosmological argument, Yuli, the argument from the first cause. Premise one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Premise two, the universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Therefore, conclusion two, God exists. And uh, Yuli also look at the argument. He has the Kalam argument here. And if you need help finding it, I'll help you. But I want you also to look at uh, Leibniz argument that Dr. Craig put out. So you can even Google it, Leibniz argument. So both of these cosmological Leibniz argument are basically saying the same thing. Um, you know, nothing from nothing, nothing comes. Where did the universe come from? If people want to say that the universe is eternal, then you use Leibniz's argument, which is why is there something rather than nothing? Um, and then if they try to say back, well, what caused God? And if you say God is eternal and they say the universe is the same way, then you have to say, does the universe have a mind and it has intelligence? Because if the universe does not have a mind and intelligence, it could never have produced mind. God has mind and intelligence. So they can't get out of it that way. So in the end, it's either believing in an internal mindless universe that broke all the laws of logic yet gave us logic or a first cause, uncaused divine mind, i.e. God, all powerful, all knowing, ever present that created the universe. So you have to understand that from you can't get mind from matter. And we know there's matter. Uh, we know there's mind in the universe. We know there's intelligence. So make sure you get Leibniz's as well. Feel comfortable with both. But uh, that's basically where most of the people go these days is they try to say that the universe is eternal. But separate that from what uh, what we just learned with the first cause and separate it to Leibniz's argument of why is there something rather than nothing. And you can't have you can't have a universe as a a, a necessary and that's what you'll learn with um, Leibniz's argument as a necessary it's something that necessarily has to exist. A universe doesn't have to exist, but God would have to exist and God existing does so because he has a mind. A mindless universe would not have to exist. So if you get caught up in that, just like I said, study them both out, but really just say, why would you want to stay with a beginningless universe to deny God when God is the best explanation for the big bang, which is what this argument will really show you is that um, an infinite amount of regressions leads to absurdity. So if you didn't have a start to time, and time has no beginning, 
then you could never reach the present. And so you could give the example of if I wanted to borrow a book from someone and they didn't have it and they had to borrow it from someone else, if that went on for infinity in the past, I could never get the book because infinity in the past has no beginning. So there's never a place where I would actually get the book from the first person that had it. And that's how time would be. We would never actually reach the present unless we actually had a beginning to where things move forward from there. But uh, this, this could be a little tricky because it may get into some of those deep things. But if you get the Kalam argument down and you get the Leibniz one, and I'll put it up here just as we're talking, Leibniz, why is there, why is there something rather than nothing, Craig? Okay. Oh, I just lost that link, and I don't want to lose that link because I want to send that bad boy. Okay, give me just a second. But that's a lot of times what they try to say is the universe is eternal. Great. And I'm just wondering, give me just a second here, because he may use the ontological argument for that. Give me just a second, Craig, animated videos. Oh, why are you tripping? While I'm waiting for this, I'll, no, here we go. Fine-tuning Kalam, ontological. Yeah, there we go. Leibniz contingent argument. Here it is. This is Leibniz contingent argument. Okay, so I'll... Okay, so I'll keep this one for you right here, and that will help you. Okay, any questions about this, Yuli? Uh, no, no questions. Thanks for sharing this one, though, the Leibniz contingency argument. That's a good yep. one. It just gets out of the internal universe thing. It just – and this will be the one that I would predict you will might need a little bit of help on, and I might just – as that partner guide it through, because these things get so philosophical. Some guys start saying time doesn't exist. And I'll just listen to how you handle it, because literally, dude, when you go through all the arguments we've already given the man, you know, in, in, in our series of discussion, and then we get to this one, it's like, come on now. Come on now, baby. It's like, we're like so deep into metaphysics now. Let's, let's just be real. How can you know any of this, right? Let's just, let's just put it where it's at. All right. Lastly, with Rachy Rach, if Chris does take on the tag argument, you'll do the problem of evil. If not, we might brush by it. Otherwise, I'll just give you guys extra time to dialogue with him. Maybe I'll say six minutes because just take it this way. If seven of you have five minutes, that's 35 minutes. And me trying to moderate, that's already basically 45 minutes. Uh, and of course, you know, you don't want to cut somebody off midway. So I'm already thinking some things may go a little longer in five minutes. So the closer we get to an hour, and our class is only an hour and a half long. That's it. That's all we got. So, you know, whatever I have left with him is going to be what I have left with him, which uh, I know it's not all about me debating him, but it's, it's, it's going to be good if you guys get to see as well more of the quote-unquote expert, your professor, because then you guys can learn some of those techniques and it will be available to others. The problem of evil is basically if there's an all-powerful God, he would, not, he would prevent evil if God was all good. 
he would prevent evil. So if God were all-powerful and all-good, there would be no evil. There is evil, therefore there is no all-powerful, all-good God. Epicurus said in the 3rd century BC, if an omnipotent, omniscient, omnibelevenant God exists, then evil would not exist. Evil does exist, therefore an omnipotent, omniscient, and omnibelevenant God does not exist. How do we answer that? Well, number one, we say if you don't have a God, you don't have evil. If there is a God, you can have evil because we believe in good and evil. Without a God, you go back to the moral argument, there is no such thing as good and evil. So you, don't, you, you can't even have a problem with evil. So if you've got a problem with evil, you've got a problem <laughs> as an atheist. So justify evil. Tell me what evil is. And after everything you say, just say, so what? So what? So what? Why can't Hitler do what he did? So what? Well, people won't like it. People, you know, as we were talking before, so what? Number two, as now it's been shown, and, and uh, Rachel, I would watch the video again with Craig um, on God's plan for evil, as well as Dr. Plantinga's uh, plan, uh, uh, solution here, which is basically God can use good, uh, take good out of evil because he gave us choice. And the Bible says all things work together for good. Those who love him have been called according to his purpose. So how is there evil in the world, the good God, all-powerful? Well, God gave man the choice between good and evil. Man chose evil. Therefore, God now has allowed evil for his greater good. And I've given you the short animation video by Plantinga and then the two uh, further details. And so you can just shut them down, basically saying uh, you have no definition of evil without there being a God. And number two, if there is a God, God could use evil for his good. So what's your problem there? Let me give you an argument. Try to disprove it. You try to disprove this without God, you disprove evil. You say, okay, well, I'll give that to you, but I'm going to judge your God by the Bible, and he doesn't do good things in the Bible, and, and I'll grant that I'm no longer an atheist. I'm a theist, a deist or a theist. Okay, well, let us explain the Bible and how it works for good. How are you going to argue with God? And, and how are you even going to expect to understand how every single thing works for good when you're only looking at it from your perspective? Like we've talked about it before in church, Imagine you looking at your life through all the evil and the pain as a one-sided poster. And maybe it's a, a poster made up of all of these little pictures, you know, like you see sometimes with the Jimi Hendrix uh, uh, poster or something. And there's all these little pictures that make up the Jimi Hendrix face, right? Matter of fact, let me just show you this. Jimi Hendrix collage. How come I don't know how to spell collage? I never know how to spell. How, no, I put college, Jimi Hendrix college. Somebody spell collage for me, please. C-O-L-L-A. There we go. There we go. So let's say right here, you look at the world. See, this is a collage. But let's say right now, this right here is all you see. The drug addiction, the, you know, the whatever. Let's say there's something bad there. But as you go into eternity, this is what you see, right? You see that the dark spots turned out for the good. And there's a lot of little nudie women right there. But uh, you guys get my point. Or another way I like to say it is from eternity. I mean, from this side of life, you see it from one side. But then when you get to heaven, you'll see it from the other side. And it makes a different picture. Okay. Rachel, I'll be here to help you. First of all, we're believing you're going to be here and not have to work, right? Is that confirmed? Yes. Okay, you were muted yeah, there. <laughs> okay, good, good. And if you have any problems, let me know. But I think you can handle this. I feel you're qualified. 
You're actually the one elder here. The rest of them are deacons. So I'm putting a lot on you right here. Come on. Uh, you're very smart. You got your what? Nursing degree from Loyola. What was your GPA? Um, three, seven or three. Come on. Boom. Shakalaka. You know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. You can yeah. do it. Any questions about defending and conquering the problem of evil? Uh, no. Sounds great. Amen. Well, we have three minutes left in class. Looks like Chris Pittman just joined us. Brother Chris, good to have you here. I want you to hang back if you can, along with all the other students. Congratulations on baby Gabriel. Hopefully you and the family are doing good. We'll get caught up here to see if we'll have you for next week. I got it all recorded, the things that would pertain to you, and Rachie Rach was ready to substitute for you. So if you need any help, she can be there as well. We're here just in the last two minutes. Uh, Juan, I'm sorry I wasn't able to let you uh, interject there. I'll give you a few seconds to say what you were wanting to say before. Go ahead, man. Okay. Yep. Sorry, Juan. I just, we just literally, we, that was it. That was the only time that we had stay after class yeah, and give it right. to me. So here we go. Oh. Guys, we have next week. As our last and final week, we're going to promote it on Facebook. Ask all your friends and family to come. Don't be shy. Don't try to hide this from people. Don't be embarrassed. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to send this to our friend. Spencer, we love you. We are praying for you. We are not trying to win an argument. We want God to win a soul. We're going to do our best to present what we believe is true to you. That's what we should do in all circumstances. And we believe it's going to work for our good. Remember, people don't come into the kingdom just because of an argument. It has to be the Holy Spirit using the word of God. We are presuppositionless. So that means we believe that the gospel by definition is the power of God unto salvation. We just want to use things that we can to get the, the unbelief out of the way, help show people the truth, because when they know the truth, the truth will set them free. Uh, Rachel, would you pray today for Spencer for next week, all those in preparation that they'll do well and that we'll come back safely and, you know, and good with uh, good wisdom and application ready to preach the gospel. Yes, Lord. Father, we just want to thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, to, to study your word, Father God, to um, learn more about how we can present your word, God, in, in different avenues, Lord God. So right now we just lift up our friend Spencer to you, Father. And Lord, we just ask that you would open up his mind. You would enlighten him, God. We pray for every wall, Father God, to be broken down. Um, every argument of, uh, of disbelief, Father God, to be uh, shattered, Father God, by your love, number one, and number two, by your truth, Lord Jesus. So we pray that we would all come next week with grace and truth, Lord Jesus, as we present the, these points of Father God to our friend and to all that listen. So God, give us your wisdom, give us your discernment, give us your knowledge, give us words of knowledge and wisdom. My goodness, you can do amazing things, God, in this time. So God, we just give you um, uh, this time, Lord, we give you um, our study, Father God, and we just ask that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.